welcome back to you if you're tuning in uh, live or on Catch Up. This is Elite Business Live and a very warm welcome. And uh, let's hear it from our live studio audience here in central London. It's very nice to see you. And... Uh, by no means uh, least to our panel, thank you for being with us as we sort of delve into this whole digital transformation. Andrew Stevens leads little introduction from Vodafone UK. Thank you, Andrew, uh, for that keynote. Um, yes, Ben Law, well, go, Daddy. I've literally just got an email from you. <laughs> A good one. Be yes, <laughs> because I got this back catalogue of shame of all of these domains. Now you're doing brilliant domains, you do e-commerce as well and m m much more than that but, uh, but 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 crucial to say that you're looking after the UK and Ireland j j just remind us I've got that range about right that is right yeah so I'm Ben Law I'm head of GoDaddy UK and Ireland so I run the business on a on a day-to-day -day basis and at, at GoDaddy we're focused on helping everyday entrepreneurs succeed online um, so that's a big part of our focus and as a former small business owner uh, I want to be everyday entrepreneur myself even as a side hustle it's it's a big passion project for us to, to give everyone that help and advice and lots of what Andrew was saying really rings true for us at GoDaddy as well. Yeah, so we're going to build on that a bit. I hope you've got a back catalogue of shame as well. We could compare notes. <laughs> I've got a lot of odd domain names I've built up over the years. Yeah, sure. no, same. And uh, one of our guests last year said, Ollie Barrett, it's thanks to you that I own chairforce1.com. So I can only apologise for that coffee conversation. Nicola Cook, it's lovely to see you. Uh, Travelling companion partner in crime to the brilliant Laura Morgan. Uh, company shortcuts is the business but particularly around sales, leadership, training, but you're working with people really hand in hand. Absolutely, yeah. So my passion is all about growing the nation by improving sales performance and particularly in the scale-up ecosystem mm -hmm. where so many scale-up businesses really struggle to take that leap from director-led selling or person-to-person -person selling to actually building what I call a sales engine for mm. growth and making that transition and that's where I focus my efforts. So, well, I could ask you a million questions, <laughs> but if you had to boil it down, what is the secret no one talks enough about, about being a brilliant salesperson? Or being a brilliant salesperson or having a brilliant sales system? Well, oh, so already <laughs> you're questioning the question because <laughs> it is about <laughs> having a system. Indeed. And that's part of the, that's part of the challenge in scale-up. Mm. So, thank you for inviting me on this panel. Yeah, well, you're, you're, you're very welcome to be here. But you've got me thinking about a comment made on our very first panel, which was taking it beyond mm -hmm. that founder, however Correct. charismatic they might be. Yep. If it's just them, it's not going to scale. Yeah, and it'll be a barrier to scale. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, so, by no means least, uh, Luca Schnettler. Now, we're talking about, um, well, you founded the Cumata Group, but this is health and life insurance, but using data in quite an interesting way. Tell us a bit more. Yeah, correct. So, basically, what we do is we, um, I mean, to be blunt, we take data like digital data, Apple Health data, Steps data, wearable data, and then we, we basically predict when and how you're going to die. Um, oh. <laughs> That, I don't want to be on vibrant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be blunt, so I'm German, so I, I like to you know, oh. be quite blunt with it. But oh. no, um, and then um, <clears throat> insurers use us to basically predict risk better, right? So instead of filling out questionnaires, having do, you know doctor's exam, they can just predict and price your risk by data. Mm. Right. So what's my incentive as a customer then? Because what if I don't like what I'm about to find? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, you're going to have to go through the underwriting, which is that oh. finding out how risky you are anyways. Yeah. And the, the benefit for you is instead of having to fill out all these questionnaires, instead of having to go to a medical doctor to take you know, your blood to get your insurance policy, you just 
one click and you're, and you're done. Mm. So it seems to me you're sort of Dr. Data on this panel, aren't you? You're our sort of data <laughs> junkie. But Ben, tell, tell us, how are you using data as GoDaddy? Why does it matter? I mean, in a plethora of ways, I guess. Yeah. Um, as, a, as a big corporate business, we have so many data points mm -hmm. and our customers are running domains, websites, hosting sites, uh, e-commerce platforms. So the whole host of data that comes in, into the company, I think where to kind of refocus, where we want to use data is to help these micro-business customers, these one to five people businesses that are starting out or trying to scale up to find what, what works for them. So we'll, we'll use data to communicate to them. So that might be within the theme of personalization. Mm -hmm. So it might be the adverts that we're showing to people to encourage them to take that next step. So you've got a domain name. Now's the time to put that idea into reality and create your website. Mm -hmm. It may be in the customer accounts using that data to say, you've just published your website, but we know you're not published a blog post. So create your first blog post and start driving traffic yeah, to yeah, that yeah. site. Um, or it might be personalization when you give us a call mm. and we answer the phone 24 seven, but it's not a great experience if we don't really know who you are and what you're doing when we mm. start talking to you. So the guides use that customer data to have a inform conversations to help that customer kind of scale up and grow their business. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, you also do like the phone, don't you? Because you call me up from time to time. It's nice to hear from you. But, but a lot of companies have said, no, 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 telephones, that's 10 years ago. Why do you still do that? I think, I mean, some of Andrew's points, but small, small business owners are, are grappling with <clears throat> what do I do next? I mean, it's not just all the data points. It's, I might be great at laying some bricks or fixing someone's plumbing or creating a flower display. Mm, converting a camper van. Exactly that. that. That might be my business. What I don't really understand is how do I add this type of checkout flow to my website? Uh -huh, and we uh -huh. try and make those tools really easy, but if you're struggling, most people would prefer to speak that through with someone who really knows what's right. going on. So and and sort of why we offer take it. out the jargon. Because can we see you like that though, Ben? Can we see you as our confidant in that sense? Because in the olden days, that wasn't what a phone company was. Mm. Ben. I'm oh, sorry, Andrew, Andrew, forgive me, forgive me, Andrew. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, just my eyesight there. Andrew, it is Andrew. Sorry, what's the question again? So, so can we say, would it be better if I addressed you when yeah. I had a question for you? <laughs> Let's keep, keep it old-fashioned. Um, it's interesting to hear what but, Ben because, is going to say. Well, no, ben, has, ben has painted this picture, hasn't he, of having a conversation. Yep. Yep. Just saying, look, let me talk through this opportunity or challenge. And I, I don't want to mismanage expectation. Is, it, it, how does that play out in reality? Because it's easy to say, I'll go and talk to your fellow customers. They're all on the chat bot. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with what Ben's saying, actually. I think it's, it's great to understand more clearly uh, what your problem statement might be. But then the ability to have advice which is tailored specifically for you mm. does involve some questions. It mm -hmm. does involve a bit of two-way uh, two dialogue. Yep. And that's, uh, that comes back to the point I was making why we've got the one-to-one -one consultations. Because you can read a lot of information, but then you're thinking, what? Well, what are the risks associated with me putting this into my business? And mm. when it's something uh, which is associated to your data, people get very risk averse. So right. what we see is people buy things, buy licenses, buy digital apps, but never activate them. Yes. Mm -hmm. They're too worried about the impact that might have on the business if it goes wrong. Yeah. So actually having someone to talk them through it, take the sort of jargon and take the risk out of the mm. equation is a massive help. So, so, so my theory there, Nicola, is that there is some sort of fear factor mm -hmm. around, around data. So, so tell us how it connects with sales, because oh. that's what we all need to know. Absolutely, and I, I, I look at 
my, my viewpoint is always looking at it from a customer journey perspective. Mm -hmm. And in fact, as far back as 2014, Forrester were publishing the first reports that were identifying that consumer and customer buying behavior was had changed irrevocably. And businesses were so slow on the uptake um, in how to make their data points work in order to create an omni-channel um, but personalized sales customer journey. Mm -hmm. and, and that has actually just had a huge impact on, on sales skills need and digital marketing needs and the ecosystem of platforms in order to create that. And we've, it's, it, we've been quite slow on the uptake. If you look at other countries like America and, and others, they are way, way beyond this. Um, so what was the question again? I've forgotten. I went on a <laughs> well, It's how it goes. No, I was enjoying it. We were off, weren't we? Uh, meandering through the world. Yes. But I, um, I want to know how it connects to sales. Yes. Because otherwise, we're going to be like, oh, data, that's something. We'll talk Correct. to the CTO okay. about that. Talk to the yeah, tech no. team. But I'm no. head of sales. Mm -hmm. um, maybe I'm the leader of the chief exec. I don't need to know about data. Okay. So um, my viewpoint is, is that the days of creating a customer journey have gone. What you need to do is you need to create a buying journey. Mm -hmm. Because the, the irony is, is that people hate to be sold to, yet love the feeling of buying. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to understand how your customer wants to engage with your company, both in terms of attracting them and then guiding them through um, a, a process that and the, so that they end up becoming a loyal customer, yeah. is you have to understand what are those data points in order to be able to predict what the next stage of the journey needs to be. Mm. So, so that is very intriguing because it sort of goes Back to this question, Luca, around how do you get your customers mm -hmm. sharing mm -hmm. with their consent information? Because, you know, the theory is great. You know, we talk to you in the uh, according to everything you've told us about you, but that's only a tiny amount of information. Mm. So, so, so how do we build that trust to get customers to open up? That's a good question. I think there's two parts to it, right? I mean, if people want to share their data, there needs to be a value add in it for them. That's the first thing, right? Because it's like... It's like paying for something, right? Um, it's like Facebook is a great example, right? You you don't pay to get access to your to Facebook, but actually you do pay. You pay with with your data, and I think it's always the same concept, right? So, getting something in um, that is a value add to the customer and that adds uh, or, or that allows them to basically pay for it with their data. That's the first thing, and then the second thing is actually <clears throat> uh, it was funny when GDPR came in. When was that? Like, God, when was that? 2018 was it? Mm -hmm. I yep. think. Um, Everybody was saying, like, oh, you know, this is going to be really bad for businesses that, you know, do anything with data and so forth. But I actually was, you know, on the other side of the argument, because I always thought, well, actually, customers are sharing less data because they feel like people or companies are going to misuse it and, and there's going to be a less amount mm -hmm. of trust. Mm -hmm. But actually, with these sort of stricter data regulations coming in, what it actually has done is, I think, um, help customers build up more of a trust that if I do give my data to a company that's GDPR compliant, then I know that that data is not going to be misused. And then again, people will be more willing to, onto my first point, pay with, with their data. Because I think for a lot of health tech, Luca, a lot of the rocket fuel data is going to come from very unexpected sources. How I'm walking, how I'm typing, how I'm mm. speaking. Just help us understand a bit about where data might be headed in your field. Yeah, so I think so. the data that we use is, is health data, right? Um, and <clears throat> just a little bit back, right? I mean, again, I touched upon in my introduction, what we do is we, we help to price um, risk on, on behalf of insurers, right? And because insurance <coughs> is, a, is a very, let's say, um, you know, it, it targets a broad uh, aspect of the population, mm. we need to make sure that 
every potential customer can actually use our service. And that's why we started using just steps data, because that's sort of everybody has it, because if you have a smartphone, you kind of by default mm -hmm, collect mm -hmm, steps. Mm -hmm. But I think over time, one of, the uh, one of the variables that will become more and more prevalent are variables collected by your wearables. Sorry, it's a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> um, and you know, like right now, right, with the latest Apple Watch, you can already have blood oxygen levels and all of this kind of stuff. I think over time, you'll start to have a little bit of a mini laboratory, basically, on your, on mm. your, on your wrist. And I, and I think that will revolutionize my area of insurance, but also other adjacent areas like healthcare and, 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 and so forth. So I, I think that's really a core area that's going to come in in terms of data. Yeah, that, that's very interesting, isn't it, and, Andrew? Because um, that, that building that trust, it, it is a value exchange. The more we give, potentially, the more we can receive. How uh, Help us bring it to life in other ways. What, what, what does that mean to a small business, just being across this, in terms of the potential benefits? Yeah. I, from a trust standpoint, I think the most important commodity in the market at the moment is trust. Mm. Yeah, I honestly do believe that's the most valuable commodity um, mm -hmm, to trade with mm -hmm. at the moment. And I think it is shifting the way that businesses operate. And it's shifting to more of a support-based methodology rather than a sales-based methodology. Because people, if they see value in terms of the support that you're providing, they're more willing to engage on a longer-term basis with you and share more with you because it becomes more of a partnership, a support-based partnership, which derives mutual benefit for all parties. Oh, well, Nicola, this sounds like a headache to me because in the old days, yeah. couldn't we just sell great stuff to our customers and let them get on with it? And now we have to support them and <laughs> love them and... Oh dear, <laughs> you know. Well, I've actually, I mean, I spend a lot of time looking at this with my various customers and so on myself. And um, the, one of the things that has definitely changed is the point of engagement within the customer journey oh. from a, a human to human element. So um, in days of yore, when we were all running telemarketing, you know, <laughs> call centers and so on, and had direct sales teams out on the road, is that our customers would typically come into our sales cycle when they were about 25% mature yeah. into their need. Um, and the irony is, is that they are now delaying that point of entry. So the way that I explain this is I think of the, 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 the sales journey or the customer journey as being in three parts now, mm -hmm. marketing, sales, and in the middle is this mishmash of things that I call smarketing. Okay, good, right, okay, okay, right. We have our second hashtag of the morning, good. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is this area, this grey area of where you've exchanged your, for, in, for a point of value, you've exchanged your customer data and you're now being educated and yep. serviced as you come through your own buying journey to the yep. point where you now want to engage with somebody. Yep. And actually the reason that you want to engage with somebody is because you have an unasked question or an unanswered question. And at that point there, that's when a typical salesperson can then step into yep. to service that need. I mean, and, and let's be honest, Andrew, it's, it's a good business reason why you're very welcoming with some of the initiatives you've talked about. You know, yes, saying you don't have to be a customer, you know, is, is generous, but it's also good for business because to Nicholas's point, it widens that radar. Well, if, if you're selling uh, digital applications and the customers aren't activating them, it's not good for them, it's not good for us. Mm. Through the support and education process, if... If we're selling digital services to a company and they start using them in the most efficient and effective way, they're going to grow faster. Yeah, you know, yeah. The stats all show I that digital drives productivity. I think that's such a cool point, and I don't, I don't see enough companies seeing it that way. Let, let, let's change gear completely. Um, for very obvious reasons, on many guests' minds, cyber security. Um, am I being hacked without knowing it? How do I really tighten up on that? Ben, can you just help us start on that? Because there can be a perception that that sort of policing is going to cost an awful lot of money and is frankly for very large organisations. Yes, listen, I think it's, 
I mean, it, it's a topic that's com coming to the fore even more every yeah. day as we speak at the moment. And I, it, it's f probably fair to say that cybersecurity is a risk for a business of any size, whether it's a one-person business or a several thousand business on, on an enterprise level. And I think that we know there's risks. There are things you can do as a small business to take those steps to protect your data. So one is the, the compliance regulation as you're looking at customer data in line with the GDPR. Mm. So to Luca's point, if you've got good business practices in place, you can deliver that trust factor that you're handling the data properly, you're processing it properly, and customers aren't going to mind that because you're going to send them good quality information. Then on the data protection side of things, there are certain steps you can take in terms of protecting your data. So there's, there's the very administrative-led stuff in terms of password management within mm -hmm. your organization. But then from, if I talk from a GoDaddy perspective, it's about your, your website and your presence. Simple functions that are offered, look, such as an SSL certificate, which will protect the transmission of data on your site. Um, or we offer, and many people offer, a website security tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can monitor for downtime, you can monitor for anomalies and you can protect and back up and get your site and services back up and running as quickly yeah. as possible. Yeah. Um, Luca, do you have sort of first-hand experience on that kind of a threat? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, we, we haven't gotten hacked yet, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll take it for that. But, but um, yeah, you know, look, for us specifically, data privacy is really, really important because, um, you know, we're handling ultimately health data, right? Um, and with those certain types of data, like financial data and health data, I think you have an, sort of an extra responsibility towards your customers to yeah. keep that safe. Um, and so, you know, we take it as one of our most, you know, sacred sort of practices in the company um, to have that all stored. I think one of the things for us, which is, you know, quite unique, I guess, is that because we're working sort of with insurance companies and reinsurance companies that are quite international, we're already now in a, like 15 different markets or something like this. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where it becomes quite complicated because um, a lot of the markets that we operate in, like mainland China, Thailand, Hong Kong, and whatnot, sorry, Hong Kong, part of mainland China, of course, <laughs> um, it, um, it basically requires us to keep the data within the jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of these sort of funky rules that, you know, from country to country, they may, mm -hmm. they may vary. And so sort of adjusting from a regulatory perspective as well is important on top yep. of just the, you know, protecting the, the, the consumer yep. side as well. Yeah, no, thank you, Luca. Um, so questions coming in, and we'll take questions from the studio as well. Um, and this goes to a bit of um, some of what you were talking about, Andrew, in terms of stuff that's coming up on the horizon. Yep. Jody Bargen asks, what upcoming technologies are you most excited about for small businesses. So I wonder what I can get us thinking about. Andrew, do you want to have a first crack? So, I mean, you, you referenced uh, at the start um, about Vodafone and IoT. Yep. And I think the, the, the Internet of Things. Internet, sorry, yes. The Internet of Things, which is effectively uh, connecting objects um, uh, through you know, digital technology to allow, you know, one, data gains, but two, um, your business or your house or whatever it is uh, to be enabled in different ways. And I think from a small business standpoint, the Internet of Things offers massive opportunities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't think we fully realized or scoped uh, what they could be as yet. But, you know, things, um, things on the horizon, which I won't necessarily go into at this point, because, you know, I'll get carried away and I'll take too much time. 
but I think there are massive applications there coupled with uh, better connectivity. You know, so 5G connectivity allows mm -hmm. you to do more Internet of Things on the move. So assess uh, productivity also allows better collaboration. So, so give me, you're not allowed to mention a fridge because otherwise it's, <laughs> it, it, there's a big noise above us like QI. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so none of running out of milk, but yep. give me a small business example of connecting to the Internet of Things that you know has made them a better business. So fleet analytics. So fleet analytics, just being able to understand the efficiency of your fleet on an ongoing basis, real time, understanding fuel efficiency, best route, et cetera, et cetera. We've just done that with an array of small businesses, both um, maritime fleets mm -hmm. um, and also uh, vehicle fleets on the road. So um, mm -hmm. it does work. So, so, so this is the challenge, isn't it, Nicola? Because you go, oh, brilliant, we should all be into the metaverse. Yep. Let's get our virtual reality <laughs> goggles on. Let's go. I didn't go there. So how help? Well, I've seen some fantastic real examples, yeah. actually, as I'm sure we all have. So Nicola, Help us navigate between the, you know, the shiny bauble yep. and the thing that's actually really going to shift the needle. So um, if you're in a small business or if you're in a scale-up or you're in that sort of zone, is I always say keep an eye on um, the big consumer brands mm -hmm. because the big consumer brands, you know, no, no brand names being listed, um, are the people who have got you know, millions of pounds to go and do a, a test with a technology that will then impact human behaviour. Mm -hmm. and, and if that changes the way that customers engage engage with businesses, and I'm talking B2B here as well as B2C, um, you normally see those change, changes initially in the consumer market. Um, and then there's about a three to five year time lag between B2B customers still have that expectation that they will be able to engage with your product or service in that same way yeah. and remove as many barriers as possible. And that is always going to be enabled by technology. Yeah. It's, a so really, it's a brilliant A really simple... Point. Sorry, Ollie. No, but because your point really is not... Example. It is not... I love that. But mm -hmm. it's not that the big companies are doing great things. It's that they can shift how we behave. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, who would have known? I'm old enough to remember when we all carried digital cameras and mm -hmm. I mean you know exactly I mean who would do that now because you have a camera in your phone and we can pinch and we can twist and we can add a filter and we can do this and stuff so when they've changed behavior and that cuts all the way across about how we engage with companies and brands so we have to keep our eyes open and as a small business you're not going to have the, the capacity to develop that technology yourself unless that's your company so what you need is you need the ecosystem to then provide you those tools all right so Luca, you you're that. I know you're you know doctor digital and all that doctor data but you must <laughs> be very taken by some of the potential of these emerging tech uh, technologies. What, what, what do you see? Well, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm obviously biased because I'm in a particular area of it, right? But, uh, but I'm personally very much fascinated about what we can do for, for health um, because I think that will have a real, like, real, real, real impact. And, and um, it, you know, it, it, I think a lot of health and insurance is very still much traditionally led, right? You, you, it, it hasn't really, I mean, obviously the, the medical technologies have evolved immensely, but in terms of how you interact with the healthcare system, it hasn't really massively changed. And I think you can see a lot of like incredible co uh, companies coming up like, you know, uh, Huma and others that, that are really sort of revolutionizing both in the way that, um, you know, sort of healthcare is delivered, but also in the way that is measured and that the data is feeding in through wearables and others. Mm. So I really believe there's a future where you kind of have a sort of a home clinic uh, through your IoT devices. As you say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that as mm. well. Um, that will build up. I, I think technology probably is still a bit early to get there now, but I think that's really where we're going in the next. Okay, no good prediction. Uh, questions in the room. Let me see. Uh, where they are. You have get one in the front row. If we can get a mic down here, it's making its way uh, 
to you. <laughs> Thank you. Feel free to say where you're almost like we didn't know it was coming, really. Uh, but here we come. Thanks, Jordan. Right in the front row. Thank you. Yeah, hello. Hello, my name is Michael Lorek. I'm from Online Design Limited. I'm a director, and what we do mostly, we help SMEs and startups identify most appropriate technologies ah. and their strategy. So what I'm quite a bit concerned of is sustainability. Mm -hmm. So most developers, they grab the latest, the shiny technology, they build stuff. You can run in React nowadays, one and a half million lines of code. You have still an empty web page. Do we need that? So, so how far can we really look into sustainability and get the get more quality into that? We don't need analytics for everything in every web page, and well, it, it takes down the performance. But at yeah. the end of the day, it is heat and its power consumption what runs through the wire, and we need to become aware of that. Right. It's all very well getting excited about Bitcoin, but. What is the true cost, for example? Ben, have you got any thoughts on that? Yes, I mean, it's a good question. Sustainability is, I guess, on the, on the tip of everyone's tongue in terms of what, what's the future for my business and not just within coding on the back end, more in terms of product sourcing and supply chain and logistics. I, I think it's a huge topic that every business has to have a plan for. Small businesses, I think, can be more agile and flexible and we've seen some great examples of GoDaddy customers driving that sustainability message mm. and we've, we've worked with many of them over the last year to really help them hone what their message is but from a from a technology standpoint I think this it's a challenge that every every customer and every company faces. So, so how um, Andrew does that play out if you're in the business of making stuff yep if you know things are moving very quickly isn't making something built to last ultimately irresponsible um, because um, you know it's going to be out of date next year anyway? So I think um, businesses have to take individual judgments. And I think what, what I would encourage, because I completely agree with Ben, that sustainability is on everyone's uh, tongue at the moment. It's becoming more and more pivotal. And customers are looking more and more at the practices of businesses mm. in terms of their ethical stances, their behaviors, and their approach to sustainability. I think businesses need to take a look at what their outputs look like, you know, be it energy, et cetera, et cetera, you know, be it digital and then look at ways that they can adapt. It's, it's a conversation that's ongoing. There's a lot of information out there, yeah. but I don't think there's silver bullets that I could give for all businesses. No. I think it's uh, more of a, a tailored and nuanced topic. Yeah, I, and I confess, I have got a little draw of uh, hardware from your colleagues <laughs> over the years, which shouldn't be there in a drawer. It should be in somebody else's hands yep. uh, who actually needs a phone and hasn't got one. Let's hold that thought. Uh, <laughs> here's a question from, actually, let's take another one from in the room. If there is a, yeah, uh, actually, let, let me just look around a bit further. Uh, I'm asking for other questions here. In the, I see you at the back. Why not? Jordan, thank you very much. Hi, uh, my name is Michelle Obono. I'm from latestcell.com. My question is to GoDaddy. Um, the panel members have spoken about the importance of engagement uh, to gain customers and retain customers. They've also spoken about, the Vodafone's spoken about the trends, importance of keeping on top of trends. Mm -hmm. So what I'd like to know is since the past seven years, when GoDaddy acquired Alto, which was a key platform that I used to bring businesses closer to top developers, what have you done to actually ensure that that key critical resource is retained? It's a great question. Um, I'm not as close to Alto and the acquisition that was, that was many years before my time, but I think at, at GoDaddy, our quest is always to help these small businesses to succeed in, in whatever 
application they're looking at. And what we're trying to do is create a hub where all of that customer information, all of that business data is contained in, in one place and just make all of those tools as easily as accessible as possible. And I'm more than happy to follow up afterwards in a bit more detail in terms of the specifics. Um, but everything we're doing is to drive that engagement and make it really easy and simple for any customer to access a marketing tool, a website builder tool, or the analytics behind it to give you insights into how you run and, and power your business through a hosting application or through a simple to easy to use kind of website builder product. All right, thank you, Ben. Uh, thank you for being thrown on the spot and uh, thank you for that uh, question there. So final question, um, other than elite business, to help us navigate through this, because it can seem a bit foggy, Give me your top resource, somewhere you head, because it helps you find out what is really happening, particularly on data and, 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 and digital. Luca, where do you, you go? <laughs> Our head of data. Is it? Your head of data. <laughs> Can we come and meet nice. her, please? <laughs> Happy to. Okay, all right. So that's a person. Uh, Nicola, where do you go? Um, well, I will have to say a, a name here, and I don't, I'm not affiliated to any software companies at all, but I find that the HubSpot blog and they, um, they actually publish quite a lot of research-led trends and updates. Obviously, it. it's biased All right, I have spot, fair enough. V-Hub is also available. Andrew, <laughs> where do you go? <laughs> uh, I think um, Enterprise Nation do a great job. Good show. And um, I think they've got a lot of good information. We work very closely with them. All right. And uh, finally, Ben, is it a podcast? Is it a blog? Where do you go? Very, very similar. A technology blog, social feeds. And I'll, I'll cheat just by adding and go to the insights into my website builder. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course you will. Right. OK. So I'll talk you through my uh, back catalogue, uh, greatest near misses, uh, a bit later. But very grateful to you, uh, Ben, Luca, Nicola, and of course, Andrew. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, as our panel leaves the stage, uh, we'll hand over for a quick and light uh, grilling uh, backstage uh, from Hannah, who I know is standing by. Before I pass to Hannah, let me just say that I'm going to be back on the main stage at five past 12 with the brilliant Sherry Kutu. Hannah, I hope you've been listening in. I have indeed, Ollie. Lots of great points there. I really enjoyed actually hearing about the role of regulation because re regulations obviously are criticised widely as giving you know, more admin burden to businesses, but actually there is a role for regulation and innovation. So I think that tension is quite interesting. Um, I'm glad that Andrew mentioned Patch. I think their plants are amazing. I'm not paid by them, but um, they do deliver great plants. I haven't killed any of them yet, so that's testament to their hardiness. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so thank you very much for handing over to us backstage. I'm now actually joined by Andrew. If you'd like to come and join me here. Um, we're going we're gonna to go through these in, in some speed, actually, this right. time, because we have a shorter amount of time. I want to know, have you ever been in the metaverse? I haven't been in the metaverse. No, I speak to Facebook a lot about it. We work very closely uh, with Facebook, and there's a lot of conversations going. It's a very exciting uh, area. Is it a very exciting area? That's what I want to know. For our audience of small business owners, do they care about the metaverse? Should they care? So I think um, it depends which sector the small business is in. It depends what their, their area of focus is. Uh, I think they're, for the short term, potentially not. But in the longer term, I think it's going to be quite, um, quite transformational. Well, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's usually about the application of these things rather than the technology exactly. for its own sake. The same as we saw with kind of blockchain technologies. Yep. It was You'll more go about... A hype curve. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly that. So what are you excited about? Give us a couple of things that you're really excited about for the next kind of five years. Is the metaverse amongst them? 
So I think there is, I think the SME community is going through a fantastic growth rate at the moment. I'm really interested by the number of small businesses that opened last year. There were 800,000, which is a national record. Uh, there's also a huge focus at the moment on side hustles. They think that there's going to be about uh, 3 million side hustles started in the next 12 months. So I think the different types of businesses that are going to start to emerge in the UK economy is going to be fantastic. And that's going to lead to a massive amount more innovation and a massive um, amount of transformation in terms of the way people work, mm -hmm. which I think is fascinating. It's really interesting, isn't it? During the pandemic, people have really kind of reassessed their priorities. Exactly. Perhaps they don't want to work for a big corporate. Not that there's anything wrong with it. You and I both work for one. <laughs> exactly. um, but they like to have their side hustles. They want to do things that really kind of indulge their passions like on the side. It's given people an opportunity uh, to exactly as you say, it's given people the time and space to go and indulge a passion that's been maybe on their mind for a little while and actually really explore it and um, bring it to life, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is fantastic. And I think what, um, what people will see as a result of that is you know, people will struggle to go back to the pre-pandemic ways of working because people start to move into sort of more of a portfolio based way of working where they've got different projects going on on the side, mm -hmm. which, which is great. Absolutely fascinating. I'm afraid I'm going to have to get on to our no next problems. guest, but thank you so much nice for to joining us today. Soon. Great to Bye. meet you. Hi, Nicola. How Hello. are you? Please Hi. come and join me here. How are you? I'm so well. I'm fascinated. Your job title, Chief <laughs> oh, yeah. Opportunity Officer. What does that actually mean? It's suitably vague to cover <laughs> so many things. I run a small company, um, so I do wear many hats. Um, and I am the CEO, essentially, of a small business. So I like, I like the, the, to play on words. And everybody in my business is a chief, and they all get to choose their own job titles. So, oh. uh, yeah, we have a chief digital wizard and a chief, a chief um, uh, sorter outer is actually someone's job. Titles. So, I mean, we all so, need that person so, in our lives. It's a good we? conversation starter, though. Sometimes it's, you know, it gets, it stops people pigeonholing you Absolutely. So are you still finding at this stage in your growth, you're having to do every job yourself or you can still do every job yourself? Or are no, you able I mean, to I, delegate much oh, more? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I have got a small business, but I've got a small functioning functioning team. So I am I am the strategic head and the, the key kind of, uh, you know, driver in, in the activities within the company. So And just yeah. throwing forward to our next panel we're talking about talent so what are you mm. finding at the moment what's the hardest kind of talent to get hold of is it is it still tech talent well um so it's interesting because obviously there's a there's a massive debate at the moment about a talent shortage and there's no doubt that there are certain sectors uh, particularly things that are involved in tech or engineering or other other uh, sectors that that are that are seeing a shortage but I have just recently advertised for a post um, and had more than 75 really, really well-qualified candidates. And I put that down to the fact that the, the flexibility in the working, so it was a home-based job, flexible hours, you know, set your own hours and that kind of flexibility. And there is huge talent out there. And I'm a massive supporter of the part-time 10 to 2 -ers. Um There's an army of women being a bit, you know, kind of, Yes, the sisterhood. the sisterhood, absolutely, who are, have got school-aged children who would, who are, you know, would, would, would who, who, who are well-educated, but they're just at a stage of their life where a, a, a high-powered corporate job that takes them away from home wouldn't work, and they would you know, snap your hand off for a really good job if they could be flexible with the hours. That's such an important point, isn't it? And it's interesting to see how employers are adapting post-pandemic as we're in this transitionary yeah. period. It's one of the things I recommend, particularly if you are scaling, is look for part-time people because you can get as much productivity out of a 20 hours a week contract, 25 hours a week, someone as opposed to a full-time. That's really great advice. Thank you so much You're for welcome. joining me up here, Nicola. Really great to Thanks. meet you. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank, Thank you. you. Hello. 
Hi. Great to meet you. Likewise. Your nice first time you. on the Elite Business Live stage. How was it? Very good, very good. First, first event back after COVID. So it, it feels different to live, like, you know, video camera. So <laughs> I want to ask you about tech talent. So we were just talking a bit about tech talent working from home. So we all have seen those um, terrible images. We don't print them in our newspaper of um, people who work in technology as being like in their hoodies in their basement. Right. right? You know, the kind of um, stereotype of a, a coder or what have you. Yeah. Um, is that true? Are they, do they like kind of working alone, home working or, you know, can there be more of a community and they actually want to get back to the office? Well, I think, I mean, as with most things, right, it's a combination of, of things, right? I, I, I think home working in itself, sorry, before, before COVID, I was the biggest, like, everybody has to go to the office kind of thing. Ah. But, but now after, you know, after sort of being forced into it, I, I, I personally now really enjoy working from home. But I think, as you point out, right, the um, sort of camaraderie that you get from working in an office is irreplaceable. So I think the best thing is to sort of, you know, have a hybrid working style. You know, we have five offices around the globe now. So for us, sort of hybrid working is now the norm because everybody mm -hmm. interacts with everybody. Um, so I think both has benefits and negatives. And towards the hoodies, well, you know, I, I try to sometimes, sometimes like Asian stuff. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah. You know. um, and I want to talk about kind of the UK as a tech hub as well, right? Yes. So often we get pitted against the US. The US is much more ambitious than us. You know, they're doing all the great things. Obviously, they've got a higher proportion of the, the world's largest technology companies. Do you think we can punch above our weight in the UK when compared to some of our counterparts? Well, I definitely think so. I mean, we have a thriving, especially fintech, I think, um, scene in the UK. Um, there's a lot of funding going into the UK. I've, I've read some record numbers recently. And actually, well, I know UK is not Europe anymore, but the wider continental Europe part, in, you know, including the UK, I think is very much pushing, pushing the boundaries. I think the other area that's really one to watch is Asia. Um, um, aside from, from China, I think there's a lot of venture in, uh, investment and a lot of innovation coming from. But certainly the UK, I think, stands out specifically in the sort of payments fintech area. Mm -hmm. And just one quick thing. Um, earlier on, you were talking about the role of regulation. Do you have any tips for anyone listening who might be worried about regulation or find it particularly onerous about perhaps seeing some of the positive sides? Yeah, I think one has to always see the positive in everything, right? Regulation is there for a reason. It's there to protect the customers. Um, I think there has to be quite a lot of dialogue with governments around how much is going too far and how much is actually there to protect the customer. But overall, it's obviously worth to follow regulations and really looking into like how it actually you can use it to your benefit to deliver a better outcome for the customers because that's ultimately the goal of a regulation. Right? Mm -hmm. And when it comes to things like data privacy, how heavily does that burden weigh on you personally? Do you kind of lie awake in bed at night worrying about if there's a hack, you know, what happens to customers' data? You know, is that a kind of personal toll? Of course, you know, like data in itself is something very precious, right? I mean, I wouldn't want to have my health data leaked everywhere. So that is a, a very, very uh, important um, aspect of what I worry about. But I wanted to say on the regulation piece, I don't really worry about the regulations because, again, they're there to help with exactly that, which is to keep that sort of customer data safe. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm a, I'm a big proponent for it, actually. <laughs> Perfect. Luca, thank you very, thank much. You very much. Great to meet you. Right. Likewise. We've just got one quick question for you. Sorry. For me? Sorry. No, no, no. no. Sorry. <laughs> thank you. Hi. Just uh, to follow up on the point about kind of UK versus US. Mm. Um, obviously, GoDaddy is an American company. Yes. What do you think? Are the kind of cultural differences and where can we really punch above our weight here in the UK? Yeah, I think it, it was on the panel, but customer service and I think as, as small business owners, we can embrace some of that American kind of 
positivity and enthusiasm. And it, it's a great competitive advantage for a small business to really understand their customer, have passionate conversations, be the expert in a product that actually can outperform any big corporate because you're the expert, you're the passion person. And I think if we can adopt some of that American customer service, that's a, a really great thing for great British businesses. Yeah, I love that. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. Sorry Thanks, we didn't have much that's time right. together. <laughs> And that's all we have time for back here um, in the backstage area at Leap Business Live. Don't